This is the Rhythm of Faith with Eddie Paul. Togethers with college friends, you could not beat our spot. Our downtown carriage house had everything. Plenty of space, upper and lower levels, room to spread out, and even windows that opened to the roof so that we could sit outside under the stars like those famous movie scenes from the 80s. Me and my three roommates would routinely host groups of friends over on the weekends to enjoy pizza, music, usually followed by a movie marathon. And on this particular occasion, it was no different. As the gathering started to wind down, as they tend to after five or six boxes of pizza and drinks and, and a viewing of Austin Powers or Pulp Fiction, you could see a number of people passed out wherever they saw fit. And that's when the last remaining few would have those incredibly deep conversations about life, love, God, anything basically except politics. On this particular night, me and one of my roommates were the last of a few standing, and we began one of those deep dives into the verbal universe. As the music was turned way low, and the number of lights that illuminated the room were down to one. The third member of our conversation was named Dinah. It was amazing. Between an engineer, a biologist, and a historian, it felt like we covered it all. We even talked about the beauty in knowing that our universe is made up of planets that orbit the sun, much like electrons orbit the nucleus of an atom. After a couple of hours, it came to the point in all deep conversations where you knew if you said one more word, it would be too much. That was until we heard Dinah almost yell the word, STOP! My roommate and I looked at each other bewildered and looked back at Dinah. She simply pointed over my right shoulder. We looked back and the floor lamp that sat slightly behind me, the only light in the room, was shaking. The little chain that, that was hanging from the bulb was jumping around as if it had been slapped. I looked back at Dinah and she simply sighed and put her head in her hands. Again, my roommate and I looked at each other thoroughly confused. She looked up and suddenly yelled, No! and pointed over my shoulder. This time the lamp had been hovering a few inches off the ground and dropped back to the ground waking up one of our sleeping guests who woke up, grabbed a piece of pizza, took a bite, and passed back out. I looked at Dinah and said, what was that? She again sighed and said, I haven't told you guys something. You can't laugh or I'm out. My roommate and I agreed to keep straight faces as she went on. I can see ghosts, she said. Dinah went on to tell us that she had the ability to not only see ghosts, but she could talk to them. 
It was a gift and a curse that she's had since she was a young child. It didn't help that we already dealt with strange noises and muddled voices in the house during the time we were there. But as Dinah explained her unusual gift, she would occasionally look past us, as if to keep the ghost in our living room at bay. We asked her about this ghost. Should we get out of here? What should we do? What she said next blew our minds. She told us that the ghost was a child around eight years old, and that he was upset because his burial grave was moved. He's been stuck in this house ever since they built it over his removed grave. As the historian of the group, I had to do research the next day. Turns out that many burial sites in Lafayette, Indiana were moved from 9th and North Streets in 1863. Dinah assured us that the child haunting our home wouldn't hurt us. It was a little playful specter, but would never harm us. Over the next few months, we counted down the hours until the lease would run out, but continued to have friends over nearly nightly, including the last day of school. We invited Dinah and her parents, who were in town from Boston, over for wings and pizza. My roommate and I nudged each other for at least a half hour, hoping one of us would have the nerve to ask her parents about Dinah's gift. Finally, I caved and I looked her parents directly in their eyes and said, So, how long has Dinah been able to see ghosts? Her father, without putting down his slice of pizza, said, Oh, since she was five. Before either of us could respond, Dinah's mother said, No, it was four, remember? They began taking turns telling us the story of when Dinah had her first sighting, while Dinah sat clearly embarrassed between them. We were headed over to visit some friends who had just bought a new home. We pulled into the driveway and began walking up to the front door. We rang the front doorbell and Dinah began to look really upset. She was staring at something beside the door, but I swear to you, nothing was there. Friends opened the door and they began to greet us. Dinah began to just wail and cry. I mean, she was hysterical. We couldn't figure it out. After a few minutes, she began to calm down just enough to speak. She looked past us and spoke directly to our friends. She said, why did you move the stairs? We all looked confused and our friends asked her to say that again. Why did you move the stairs, she said, more loudly this time. Our friends were astonished. They asked, how could you possibly know that? We used to have stairs in the front entrance. You see, this was our first time visiting the house, and Dinah had never met these particular friends before. Dinah composed herself a little and said, he doesn't like it. Everyone looked confused. Who doesn't like a dino, we all asked her. The little boy who died on them. All the adults went silent. The friends of Dinah's parents had purchased the home because it was beautiful but so cheap. They learned 
that the reason it was so cheap is because a seven-year-old boy had died while falling down the stairs. So one of the first things they did, without telling anyone, was to hire a contractor to move the stairs from the entryway around to the back. How could this weeping little girl have known? How could she talk to a child who had died several years before she was even born? How could our friend, our 22-year-old friend, talk to a ghost from the 1800s and keep it from destroying my lamp? With so many things in this world that go unexplained, or even things that are explained and still don't make sense, ghosts confirm UFOs. How can anyone be rock solid in their faith? On this edition of The Rhythm of Faith, we want to introduce you to someone who has experienced so many challenges with faith and is asking many questions. Sensitive listeners, please be advised that this episode does contain some mild language. Stay tuned because you're listening to The Rhythm of Faith. Indianapolis. I was in Indianapolis um, from the time I was born until I left um, after college. Uh, my parents are from India and they moved to the United States in the early 60s, um, eventually landing in Indianapolis and staying in Indianapolis for 20, 30 years, 30 years probably. Um, so yeah, so I was in Indianapolis all of growing up, went off to Purdue for my undergrad, and then moved to Chicago not long after that, and now we're back in Indianapolis. Mona's parents came from North Central India. This is about as much as she knows of her family history, because her parents don't really answer questions about their homeland or the lives they led while there. Not having an understanding of one's history can lead to many questions. Not only about faith, but about life itself. I don't know a ton about what they did in India. Um, my dad came here to go to school, and um, so he did his, his uh, let's see, his PhD, his doctorate degree at Michigan State, and then went back to India, and then got an offer to come to Indianapolis to teach at IU, and so that's how they landed in the Indianapolis area. They they definitely had most of their friends were Indian. Um, I knew a lot of their friends growing up. We spent time with their friends, families growing up. Um, 
there weren't any particular families that we spent more time with. I think, you know, there was a few that I guess we spent a little more time with, but no one that I felt like my parents were exceptionally close to. Um, so in some ways, I think, you know, and I don't know that friendship was necessarily that important to them. Um, so in some ways, I think they were maybe a little bit isolated for whatever reasons, maybe self-chosen. Um, and that was sort of a thing growing up. Like, why do you need to have, why do you need to be with friends? And they didn't really see the value of friends and things like that. So, yeah. So they, but for a while, they um, sort of on and off attended the India Community Center, which was, I think, at the time, the really temple-based-oriented place. Um, in the Indianapolis area, and that has since changed. I know there's a big Hindu temple around these days that's associated with the India Community Center, but that's where most of um, people who were practicing Hindus went. And we were there sort of intermittently, very intermittently, especially through like elementary, middle, and high school, um, very intermittently. So they had their they had their connections, they had their circle, but no one that they were exceptionally close to. Well, I think especially as I got older and sort of developmentally appropriately looked to friends as my main influencers rather than my parents, it put sort of a wedge between us because they didn't see the need for friendship. They didn't need to see the need for um, sort of that community outside of your family. From their point of view, it was um, do as I say, don't question it, not necessarily what I do, but I will tell you what you should be doing, you should follow this path, and don't worry about anything else. So, um, so that, you know, when you're a rebellious teenager, that sort of drives a wedge in there to start with, and then, you know, I think that the other impact is that um, there was just, there was not an ability to really relate to each other. So as I was finding friendships and, and gleaning a lot of um, um, close relationships with people, I didn't share any of that with them because they didn't see the need for it. It was a waste of time. So, you know, that I think really started to drive a communication wedge between us because I knew they didn't care. And I thought, well, I, I care, so I'm going to go off and hang with my friends and I'm not going to tell them anything about it. Because I sort of was close enough to the path that they were dictating, they didn't really question it too much. Would it be that they, they weren't really worried about American culture as much as it was making sure that you followed their path? Yeah, and I think that they didn't necessarily... Um, I think they, I think they wanted, well, I think my parents had conflicting views. I think my mom wanted us to have a more traditional Indian upbringing. My dad, I don't know what he really particularly wanted. I think that he um, thought that he could sort of just dictate what things would happen. So for him, it was like, there was a lot of status that was important. So his children needed to be doctors and lawyers and um, and he, I think, never got past, and my mom too, never got past the point where, where very young children sort of idolize what their parents say and do everything. They never really could understand why their children got past that point of thinking and started thinking for themselves.
Um, and so I don't, I, and I also think that a lot of American culture, they um, just sort of scoffed at. <clears throat> and so they thought if they scoffed at it, we would scoff at it too. But they never really explained any of that. I think that they would have had more of an impact and influence on how I thought if they would have been more open with it. It was just this idea of, well, here's what I've said. Why are you questioning it? Like I was asked that question once, especially as a female growing up in an Indian family. Like I was asked the question very specifically, why are you disagreeing with me? And that was sort of eye-opening that, um, it, you know, I didn't need to think for myself. I just needed to take on blind faith what they said. Hmm. And and that's sort of how my mom functions in her marriage as well. So, um, yeah. So I think if they would have had open, more open lines of communicate communication, and maybe expressed what they were thinking, maybe they would have had more influence on what I thought and how I acted. But because there was just sort of this, do as I say don't question anything I say I mean they could have held a banana in front of my face and if they said it was an apple I should believe that it's an apple and if they would have said it's a hammer but that's clearly a banana but whatever that's a, I told you it's a hammer so just say it's a hammer you know that's sort of how they that's how they sort of functioned and at, you know at some point I was like well I can I can call your bullshit whatever <laughs> and I know a banana when I see it so if you're not going to tell me any of your thoughts or reasons or experiences or anything, then I'll figure it out all on my own, which is mm. what I did. So did any of their um, faith, was right. any of that kind of uh, either taught to you or bestowed upon you in, in any way? Um, you know, I, I recall as a very young child, like up until maybe around age four or five, going to temple here and there and never understanding any of it because primarily it was in a foreign language. Um, and then again, there was no explanation, no bridging that gap as a family. Um, so for me, there was from a very young age, just disconnect of what well, I, I don't, what does that even mean? And there, there was no... Um, it, again, it was just like an expectation that you'll just do what I say at some point. But, um, and then about, I don't know why, I don't know if something happened, if life got too busy. I have no idea why, but around age five, we stopped going to temple and we would go very intermittently. Um, and it was always very uncomfortable for me. So where I have the opinion that um, parents should allow their children some control, um, over what they participate in just to, to a, a very large degree but explain everything um, there again none of that there was this expectation to participate so if there was a ritual going on um, then I should just like shut my mouth and participate and it you know it could be something as simple as like um, you know going up into an altar and I guess maybe praying in front of this altar but I didn't even know what I was doing so why would I do it and I, and I realize now that maybe personality is that I'm, I'm a watcher and I, I sort of watch and take it in. Um, and there was there, I wasn't a, I don't believe that I was afforded that as a child. Um, it was just, you know, do it. And it felt very uncomfortable to me because I didn't know any of these people. I didn't know what I was saying. I didn't even know what I was doing because it wasn't explained.
by the time we got to elementary and middle school, we just went so infrequently that it was like, what, why, what am I doing here? This is kind of silly. Um, another big experience was we went to India twice when I was a child and I was age seven and nine and the first time we went, so I'm going to this foreign country, um, meeting all of these people who are my family. I've never met them, talked to them, heard of them ever in my life. Hmm. Suddenly I'm surrounded by all these people and you know, on the flip side of the United States, we have zero family here with us. So I'm not used to this big extended family. And then this, ex- ex- again, this expectation of, well, they're your family. I could, so my, my parents would go off and do something without us. And I was like, well, who? I don't even know. I don't know where I'm at. I don't know what I'm eating. I don't know what I'm saying. I don't know what people are saying. Um, and I can remember them doing some sort of religious prayer service. And they wanted my brother and I to come up and get some sort of like, um, um, some sort of like painting on our forehead. It was like a, like a decorative bindi as part of this ritual to a particular God. And that was the last thing I wanted to do. I didn't know who people were. And so my mom said, oh no, you don't have to go. And the next thing I knew, someone was picking me up and taking me. And they put this thing on my forehead and I was freaking out and crying. But instead of having someone, you know, like a safe person to come back to, it was, why are you crying? Just to, oh, she's just being silly, that kind of thing. So my first experiences with, with, with the Hindu, religion was just like confusion and um you know like discomfort and things that you know so I think from the very beginning I was turned off because with not understanding any of what the faith was about um and then being forced to do things that I didn't want to do you know I put up a wall at that point so that was that was the beginning of that was the beginning of I think my experience with that faith um and then you know just the fact that it was very we just went so intermittently and we didn't have a friend circle that we spent time with that sort of influenced us as children you know other adults influencing influencing us as children and then um you know by the time i got to high school i was hanging out with friends who went to church um whether it was Catholic Catholic Church or whatever other church they went to. And a lot of times I would end up going with friends to different services. Um, and by then I had formed my own opinion. So then when my parents wanted me to go and go to a temple with them, I was like, well, I'll go, but I have my own opinion about things at this point. Um, and again, because there was no open line of communication, we never had an exchange of ideas. Hmm at that point a closer connection with friends than with my own immediate family and um so you know I wanted to spend time with them um sometimes with their families and not wanting to be at my own house so I'll do anything if I don't want to be in my own house interesting so you you've had this experience where it was kind of forced upon you in the beginning and now you know, as you're growing up, you're wanting to spend time with those friends and, and family members that are outside of your own family. And church was important to them, so you attended because they were attending. Right. Um, what? And it felt meaningful. Like, it sort of felt meaningful. Um, okay. And that was important to me. 
um, I think it's always been important to me and it's taken on a different form and shape throughout my life, but it was important at that age mm-hmm. um, to do things that felt meaningful. And I mean, I was a pretty straight, narrow kid. I didn't drink, do drugs in high school. And um, I'm a, a pretty introspective person, which I think started um, at that age. And um, so always sort of this inward seeking and, um, you know, as all kids try to do, you're trying to figure out your place in the world, and that it emerged, emerged from there. And at that point, that made a lot of sense to me. It, you know, as, as limited my understanding was at that point, um, it made more sense to me than what I had already been doing. So it felt like the right thing at that point in my life. What, what did you get out of it? Um... I mean, obviously, you're trying to figure out your place in the world, but when you went and heard these messages and you hear about this Savior, did something for you that you did not think about, what, what did it, what did you take away from it? I think at the time, it just sort of made sense. I've always liked the idea that the one thing that's always made sense to me and stuck with me forever is the idea of treating others with kindness and treating others um, as you want to be treated. And that was a message that seemed to overarch anything else I was hearing, because a lot of what I was hearing didn't really make sense. I didn't have the context for it. Um, I mean, I wasn't going to like Bible studies and things like that. So I was hearing a pretty limited, pretty limited um, amount of faith-based information at that point. Um, and I think that it just sort of helped maybe guide some of the actions or at least it matched some of what I felt internally. And so maybe validated what I sort of thought. I also, I also really have, um, we didn't have a lot of traditions in our family. Um, we don't have, we didn't have any traditions in our family. Um, and I liked some of the rituals. I like some of the same repeating things that you could count on on a week-to-week basis mm. if I wanted some of the same services. Um, I liked that there were certain traditions that were carried through and that had been carried through for, you know, year, years, if not hundreds of years. Um, so I liked that idea. It felt very grounding at the moment because my experience wasn't grounding. So I, I think I liked that part of it. It, it. it felt like something that I wanted to have in my life, something that was predictable and um you know not necessarily easy but you know predictable and you could sort of rely on and I liked I liked that part of it I liked that there was a positive message I liked that it was these same traditions um so that you know I think that that's something that it that made sense to me again at that time What's, what's changed for you? Um, you know, I think a lot has changed, and I think that not a lot has changed. I think that um, I'm not religious. People often ask me if I believe in God, and I've thought about that question a lot. And I think the best way that I can answer it is, is that that's not even really the question for me. 
um, you know, the whole the whole belief in God. I think um, whether or not there is a God, it doesn't bring me a whole lot of comfort when I think about um, difficult things that we go through in life, difficult things that I have faced. And I look at it from the religious perspective that I understand, it doesn't comfort me at all. Um, when I look at it through a different perspective of that life ebbs and flows, um, that we have the ability to demonstrate kindness and empathy um, to one another, and that's what we should do. If that kind of thing makes sense. It makes me feel like I have some sort of power to make a positive change in the world. And I feel like religious or not, God or not, we don't take whatever it is that we use to channel energy to move positively forward in the world, and who cares? So I think that, um, you know, I have friends who are extremely religious. And, you know, if I put on my judgmental hat, then I feel like even taking the energy and faith that they get from their religion and using it positively to impact the world, I understand their faith. And then I have other people in my life who have all of these so-called Christian values or you know, whatever religious values, and they are self-centered and worried about money only and I think, well, who cares, you know, whatever, that that's what your faith is telling you to believe in money and only be worried about yourself. And um, so when people ask me, do I believe in God? I just, I have a hard time answering it. And I guess maybe, maybe the word's agnostic, but I don't, I don't even know if that's the right answer. I think the right answer for me is that that's not really the question. Um, that, that whatever the answer to whether there is or not a God, that doesn't impact what I do as a human being. Um, so, and that, you know, that has changed quite a bit over the years. I came from a place of not really knowing any religion to trying out some different religions to um, being that stereotypical, I'm spiritual and not religious, <laughs> um, to believing that there's a God and that that's all that really matters to now it just not even really being the question that that sort of drives where I am and my beliefs about how we move through the world. Hmm. Things in the Buddhist culture make sense to me. Um, I, I like that there is no formal deity or um, sort of supernatural power in the Buddhist religion. But there's things that I also don't agree with. Um, and, but I think the main thing is, is that I, the, one, the, one, the one thing that, that like, it's the two things that really resonate for me are that life ebbs and flows. And that, you know, if, if, we're, if we're strong enough to know that life will ebb, but then it will also flow again, um, that we can stand, that we can stand that, that current. And then the idea of love, and, and many people think that the Buddhist culture and other cultures as well, that love simply means to wish another happiness. And I like that idea that, you know, 
I don't have to know you well to be able to love you and that love just simply means that I wish you to be happy mm -hmm. um, and I love the meta prayer um, for so many reasons because it simply is this idea of wishing others to be free wishing others um, to move through the world with ease um, you know and I, I think that's just such a nice simple prayer to offer the world and as I've learned years to offer it to myself as well that um, you know what more can we what more can we want for others and for ourselves to, to be free to be happy to move through the world with ease um, and I, I, I that just that just holds so much more strength and power for me than anything else that um, so that you know I've done some readings in that culture um, just being exposed to Hinduism but nothing has ever really struck me so hard as that this is the one thing that I that I'm going to dive into. Um, there's nothing that it, that's that's taken me that that's captivated me that much. The self-centered Christians that you brought up before, uh, those who profess, 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 maybe even have the bumper sticker, have the the blingy cross on on their chest. Uh, as they bring their, you know, kids into to school and then yell at the teacher. Um, how do you think that impacts your your view on? Um, well, let, let's just stick with Christianity for now. Um, I definitely see the people who I consider to be hypocritical as having more of an impact on my desire to stay away from organized religion as I do with people who I think um, maybe uh, that maybe um, seem to be more I guess Christ-like in their belief system and I think the reason is because the people who I who, who seem to more closely follow that um, Christ-like behavior from my understanding I feel like there's not a whole lot of difference between them and me. I see them as people who um, want others to be happy, who try to use whatever upper hand they have been given in life to positively impact others, who, um, you know, they just try to, they just try to be that piece of compassion or that bit of compassion. And I don't see a lot of difference between myself and them. They just source it from maybe a different spot than I do, but I also don't mm -hmm. think that's necessarily the center. I think that there's action behind their words, and I feel like I have action behind my words as well. Um, the, the, the people who I see sort of espousing their, well, you know, their religion are the, are the ones that definitely have this impact on me. Like, how could you possibly so be so hypocritical when you you know, you claim to have this, this belief in, in God and Jesus and, and the story that came with that, yet I see you in real life, you know, treating waiters and waitresses like crap and, um, you know, being as, as, as cheap as they could possibly be because they need more money and um, cheating others because that's just how you do it in business. And that doesn't make sense to me. You can't you can't compartmentalize your faith. You can't. That's not fair. Um, you can't 
show up one place and say that I believe this and then show up the next place and say, well, that part of that part of my day is over. Now I'm going into this part of the day and I'm a businessman and business world. I do this, that, and the other. Um, and so, you know, it's that compartmentalization that I see so much of. Um, and, and also the idea that I feel like, especially as prevalent these days, that um, somehow God has looked down more on me than on anyone else. And so that's why I'm blessed with what I have. And if you were a better person, maybe you would have more of what I have. And mm. I think, well, holy shit. I mean, you really do think a lot of yourself, don't you? And so I just don't, I, I think that if that, if, if that exists, if that's even a possibility, then I want mm -hmm. nothing to do with it. And, yeah. um, and if that's, if, if anything, and if we're talking just about Christianity, if anything in the Bible leads someone to believe that they are somehow more deserving than someone else, then I don't want anything to do with it. Doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. I don't see, the, and, and even more so, I don't, it doesn't, I don't see the need for it. Why? Mm -hmm. What's the point? What's the point? We want to thank Mona for sharing her story with us today. Often, when it comes to understanding who a person is, their actions speak much louder than their words. In the same way, simply saying that you believe in a certain religion or proclaiming a certain faith without living it out can often do more damage than you could possibly imagine. Special thanks to artist Makai Beats, Audio Binger, Little Glass Men, Spinning Merkaba, DR, Mind's Eye, Kesta, Lee Rosevere, and Blue Dot Sessions for providing us with today's soundtrack. Rhythm Nation, know that we are listener-supported, so if you're digging this content, please go to therhythmoffaith.com and give. Until next time, one love. This was a Terp Studios production.